Hi, this is Chantelle Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to episode two of Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. This morning, I'm with Major Robinson in Helena. Major is the owner and principal of Redstone Project Development and also owns the store we're sitting in now, Sage and Oats Trading Post, a well-known intercultural gift shop in downtown Helena. Today's episode will be a special two-part episode with part one featuring Major as the interviewee and part two featuring Major interviewing two of his children, Jorian and Kira. Major was born and raised on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. He earned an architecture degree from the University of New Mexico and over the past 30 years has helped tribes and companies develop projects in places ranging from Montana to Japan to the United Arab Emirates. Most recently, Major provided cultural design services to Montana State University in Bozeman for their new American Indian Hall currently under construction. In 2017, Major worked with the Center for Indian Country Development at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis to improve American Indian entrepreneurship. Prior to that, he lived in Orlando, Florida, working with Universal Studios to develop Super Nintendo World in Japan. For 17 years prior to that, he lived and worked in Montana, primarily on his reservation. While working with the Northern Cheyenne tribe, Major started his own business and contributed to the foundation of many entities, including the Montana Tribal Tourism Alliance, the Montana Indian Business Alliance, the People's Partner, Partners for Community Development, and the Indian Nonprofit Association. For a number of years, Major worked for then Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer in his Office of Indian Affairs to help build strong government-to-government relationships between the state of Montana and the tribes of Montana. In collaboration with other state agency leaders, Major helped create the Governor's American Indian Nations Council and oversaw the State Tribal Economic Development Commission. Major has and continues to volunteer his time in various positions including the Governor's Board of Regents where he worked to improve collaboration with the seven tribal colleges in Montana to provide interdependent education resources between the tribal colleges and Montana's university system. He's a 2006 graduate of Leadership Montana and currently lives in Helena with his wife, Michelle, and their three children, Jorian, Kira, and Colton. Major Robinson, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's nice to be here. How is that summary? Mostly your words. Um, it, it, yeah, uh, those those are my words. The summary is good. The only difference, I would say, is that the... I, I own Sage and Oats uh, Trading Post uh, along with my wife. We're partners in this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I appreciate that note. And I understand your eldest daughter runs it, manages it. Yes. Jorian is our manager, full-time manager for the store. So, Major, can you set the stage? I just had the good fortune of having a quick tour. Um, we're in downtown Helena, and this is a fabulous, fabulous store. I wonder if you can paint a picture for listeners of, of where we are. Sure. Um 
We are located at 424 North Last Chance Gulch. It's right in the heart of Helena. Um, and for those that, that know Helena, it's right next to the Fire Tower uh, Cafe Coffee Shop. Um, and we located ourselves here in partnership with another business that already was here, uh, Buzz Boutique. And it's owned by Melissa, who um, runs a store that has upscale um, recycled women's clothes as well as an alteration store. So in May, um, and actually started in March when we had to close our doors because of the virus, we were very concerned that we would have to go out of business, as Sage notes. Um, and we were located somewhere else other than here, but my wife and Melissa got to talking and decided, well, we can both stay in business by joining forces. And so we moved in with Melissa and um, started our new store here at Sage and Oats. Um, and what we're doing here is you come into the store and you got to like some color because we're very colorful in the store. Um, we're, what, we, what we're doing is we're celebrating the diversity of Montana. Um, we have artisan wear that represents different tribes of Montana, as well as the Montana immigrants as well. So you'll find pottery that comes from Scotland. You'll find artwork that comes from Blackfeet. You'll find, you know, unique items that come from Northern Cheyenne and all the other tribes. And we know the stories behind the artisans and the stories behind those pieces of work. So, um, so we invite people to come in and explore and not only walk away with an item, but walk away with a story that comes with it, too. Um, so we're really excited to have this offering now right on downtown uh, Main Street for, for um, Helena. And it's been wonderful since May to invite people to come in and discover different cultures. One thing that certainly stuck out to me, Major, and we just discussed this, was that you and your family had created stickers and a candle to raise awareness for missing and murdered indigenous women. And I wonder if you'd be willing to talk about that. Yes. Um, we, and when I say we, uh, my, um, child Kira, um, we worked on a piece of artwork together. Uh, it's, it's something that, uh, we hadn't done before. Um, uh, Kira is, um, non-binary and they have developed their own artwork in such a unique style and creative way that, uh, uh, you know, early on as, as Kira was, was experimenting with art, we, we did some things together as I was showing them exactly what I knew about art. Um, but for the longest time, we, we hadn't done anything together. So we decided to work on this piece together because it meant a lot to, to both of us. Um, we developed um, a sticker that acknowledges the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls um, movement that unfortunately exists right now <clears throat> because many of our, excuse me, but many of our uh, indigenous sisters and brothers go missing in Indian country and outside of Indian country too in our urban areas. Um, and I'm, by missing, I mean sometimes they're never found. Other times, unfortunately, they are found and they have been murdered. And there isn't a lot of effort that is being put into finding who uh, is committing these crimes and holding them accountable. 
And so there's a, a movement uh, for MMIWG and also Missing and Murdered Indigenous People for our two-spirit and transgender community as well. And so we developed these stickers, um, and um, we have them available in the store. We took the stickers and we actually put it on some of the candles that we offer here as well. And for a period of time, we offered those uh, uh, for sale. Um, the idea was to not only raise awareness, but we worked with Western Native Voice, which is a nonprofit here in Montana, an indigenous nonprofit that uh, helps to address those issues and highlight those issues as well. So a part of the proceeds for the candle sales went to them. And also now with the stickers, we donate a dollar for every sticker that we sell in, for that effort. Um, it really is a, 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 tra a current tragedy that's happening. Um, we've had our own cousin as one of those victims um, at Northern Cheyenne. And it, when it hits so close to home, it made Kira and I realize that we need to do something. We have to say something, and we need to be a part of that solution. So what we're doing, it's not a, a big part, but at least we can raise awareness and we can um, offer this um, piece of artwork in order to, to do that. So we did one for Missing and Murdered Indigenous women and girls, and we have a second one that, <clears throat> that we also have available uh, that's acknowledging missing and murdered indigenous peoples. Um, so those are available in the store, or we also have them available online at um, sageandnotes.com. You had mentioned that. Um just now when you were showing me this before we fired the mics up, that the story of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and native people was a story that has been told to a small extent and primarily through an Anglo perspective. And you'd called for a deeper understanding from an indigenous perspective. I wonder if you would elaborate on that a little bit. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, and one thing I do want to mention, and if it could be worked into what we're talking about, is the the relative that has been impacted in our our family is Kesera, and uh, so it's important to say their name and for people to know that these are real people and that they're uh, a big part of our lives. Um, yeah, recently I was asked to view preview. Uh, some of the indigenous films for the Bozeman Film Festival that's it's coming up soon. It's going to be all online. And one of the films um, focused on missing and murdered uh, indigenous women and, and girls and here in Montana and the impact that it's had here in Montana. And um, it was a very powerful film, very powerful documentary. Um, I'm glad that it was done. Um, it has a lot of important um, issues that it raises and highlights um, the, the tragedy of this. Um, and it's great to have it, um, but it was done by non-natives. And that's, that's fine for where we're at right now. But the more that we get 
uh, indigenous people involved in that industry, the film industry, and, you know, writing and directing and producing films, I think the more authentic that story will be. And so I hope that uh, this film coming out actually inspires more of our Native people to step forward and say, hey, I've got a story to tell, and, and this is how I think it should be told. Um, uh, we have actually, in relationship to that, we have a, a book in our store. Um, we don't carry many books, but we have a book in our store that's written by my brother, Jerry Robinson, and it's called The Cheyenne Story. It's the first book that he's written, and being Native, it's, it's his view, his native view of our history, our Cheyenne history. And so for the first time, um, or one of the few first times, you get to read it from a native perspective. And when you do, then it's kind of looking at it from the other side of the page, in this case, you know, uh, to hear that story from, from our perspective. And so I think these films could be told uh, more authentically as well when a native is a part of that creative process. And I owe you an apology right away. I'm realizing that I moved on to the next question when what I should have said was what I hope I was feeling was, I'm so sorry about your cousin. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. See, and that's the other thing for us as um as tribal people is that our, our families are very, very broad. Um, I grew up with my cousins. I, I have nine brothers and sisters myself, a huge family to start with. There were seven boys and three girls. But I have cousins that I grew up with who are my brothers. Um, that's just how we saw one another and how we identify with one another. Uh, my, my first cousins are, are my brothers. And sometimes our our younger cousins, you might call them second and third cousins, really are our grandchildren. So in, in that sense, you know, I, I lose a grandchild that way. And so um, we're very connected with one another, and that's important to us. Um, you know, family is just very, very important. So I, I thank you for, for your thoughts. When we spoke before the podcast, you had mentioned that the through line of what is, which listeners can tell from the intro, a remarkable story of your life and the places you've lived and the things you've Thank accomplished. You. I mean, it's stunning. And um, you said the through line to all of that was being raised on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. So I wonder if you could tell that story. Sure. Yeah, I, I was born um, um, near my reservation. Actually, the hospital uh, was on the Crow Reservation, just you know a few miles off our reservation, and was raised uh, on my reservation um, until I was 18 years old and didn't know anything different than that. Um, uh, I grew up in a very large family, and I'll have to say, and some of my family members know this and probably felt it the same way, I really prayed I was adopted because I was tired of all these people being around. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <clears throat> as you grow older, you realize 
wow, how fortunate I was. I mean, we didn't, we grew up very, very, very poor. Um, the first house that I have pictures of, you know, there was, it was a two bedroom house with 10 of us crammed in there. And so we shared beds, we shared everything. And that's probably where I wanted to be adopted. (laughs) And, and so, um, being raised there, I always enjoyed art. I always kind of expressed myself through art. Um, later on in life, I was fortunate to be able to go to college, and my tribe helped me to go to college as well. They helped to pay for that college experience. And I ended up um, studying. I was pretty good at math, too, so I ended up studying architecture and, and got my degree in architecture. And after I got my degree at the University of New Mexico, I... Uh, moved to Los Angeles, and um, and I don't know if I had mentioned before, but I wanted to, I guess, not only do architecture, but I wanted to try my hand at acting. And so I got an agent, and I went on auditions, and I got a few gigs, um, but I wasn't as good an actor as I was a designer. So I relied more on my livelihood with my design work, and I ended up working uh, as part of my job, working for a company that took me to Japan, where I lived for a couple years working on a theme park. I then started working for Disneyland for a while, doing uh, theme park design there, and then eventually started working for Universal Studios on a number of different projects, which I really enjoyed. And yes, you know, coming from... The reservation, I I would always stop and look around and say, how did a young Indian man from the reservation end up here in Japan doing theme park design? I mean, it was the furthest thing from my mind. But uh, there was always similarities. I found that even in Japan, living there, and one of my my very best friends to this day, too, is Satoshi. Satoshi Iriyama now does children's books and illustrates children's books. Um, we stay in touch with one another, and our families have gotten together, you know, um, that there's a similarity in the culture there in Japan that we have on the reservation, that part of the value of who you are as a person isn't just you independently, but your family and your your community and your tribe. And so... I found in Japan it's the same way. You don't just make a decision for yourself. You're making a decision based on your ancestors and what they did and what they fought for. And you're making a decision about your generations to come. And so it's not just about you. And so I really uh, enjoyed that about Japan. And that's where I found a lot of my um, upbringing to um, influence not only... Uh, the people I interact with, but the work that I do. I try to do work that has meaning, that has an impact on people, because I want them to feel that, you know, for for generations to come as well, if if we're fortunate to do that. So a lot of the projects I work on now are related to tribal projects or including tribal culture and adapting our culture into the physical form of places that we live and work and play. One of those projects that is under construction now is the American Indian Hall at Montana State University. And you told me, um, I thought it was just fascinating that 
what you try to do in your design work on projects like that is highlight or celebrate the differences and highlight the similarities or was that the language you used? Forgive me if I'm... Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it because each of the tribes are different. Uh-huh. We're all different. You know, there's there's over 500 different tribes in, in the United States, you know, and we're all different, you know. We may have some similarities, but uh, the language is different and uh, different traditions. And and so we, we all come from, or even our livelihood is different from the, you know, going from the West Coast to the East Coast. And so it's wonderful to have these differences, but there's also similarities between tribes too. And so that's that was the challenge on the American Indian Hall when I was brought in as a cultural design liaison is how do we encompass ideas and um, art and and traditions from these different tribes in Montana um, into a building? And so we did, we've, we've been able to do it, and I've worked with a number of designers there. It's not just myself. But we've been able to do it by incorporating indigenous plants in the landscaping. We've been able to do it by making sure that we set aside some money for indigenous artists to have their work featured and the building actually built around these art pieces. Um, we've, we've done it by the finishes themselves. There's going to, there were some trees growing there, and some of the trees had to be harvested. They were very old trees. So we made sure we took care of those trees as they came down, and we're reusing those trees, trees in the building so that there's this grandfather tree that now will be a part of this grandfather room. And so it's about how you do it. Even the beginning of the project, instead of a groundbreaking, we had a ground blessing. Because in Indian country, we're building on Mother Earth. And so we need to ask permission for that. So we took the time to do a ceremony. And I'm so glad that at Montana State University that the leadership there President Cruzado understood that and really honored that. So there was a great celebration as a ground blessing that started this all off. So it's not only what appears in the building, but how the building is put together. And so I'm very excited. This is under construction right now and is due to be completed next fall. So it'll be wonderful to offer this building. And the whole building and the intent of the building is to be a home for our American Indian indigenous students at Montana State University. And on top of that, it's offering that culture and that peek into the culture for non-native students and welcoming them into the building too. So I think it's, it's really, it really has um, fulfilled something that I try to do as an architectural designer is to bridge those cultures and bring those cultures together so that we can learn from one another. And you're working on a, another project, the Montana Historical Society new building right here in Helena. Is that right? Yes. Do you want to talk it's, about that? It's called the um, Montana Heritage Center. Okay. And uh, yes, it's going to be built um, not only right next to, but attached to the current um, Montana Historical Society building and the museum there. And so I've been brought on to the design team um, to work with the building designers, the building architects, the landscape architects, and um, also the exhibit designers um, to reach out again into Indian country here in Montana and 
and invite um, representation from different tribes to comment on this design. In addition to it, I get to work on it as a designer too. So some of my my work will be represented in it. Um, and, and again, that's where I think I can offer my skills the best is to be that bridge between the two, to be able to, um, I'm very fortunate to be able to go into our Indian communities in Montana and see the wonderful work that's already done there, architecturally or artistically, um, and bring that information back and then use it in our design process. But on top of that is to actually invite those tribal members from those communities to participate in the process. Um, a lot of times, we as tribal people, we get invited to the table after the whole table is built and done and the dinner is done. <laughs> so in this sense, we get invited to the table before the table is even built and before any, any dinner is built. And we get to be a part of what's going to be in there. So it's very exciting to, to be a part of this process. And I hope that it continues with other projects that way too, because there's just a wealth of knowledge, um, indigenous knowledge out there that can impact these projects and just make them more meaningful. It seems to me in our conversations about this, this previously, you had mentioned that, you know, your, your ability to do that work of, like you said, building off of the wonderful work that already exists in indigenous communities and celebrate the differences between different tribes and that really honed skill sounds like was actually built off this evolution over the course of your life of your understanding of your own culture and others about and that came from living in japan and living in new mexico and your first experience off the reservation living in bozeman on campus and msu can you talk about your evolution in, in your understanding of your culture? Sure. You, you know, that's another value that I didn't realize that I had and that I inherited from my ancestors is adaptability. You know, our ancestors had to adapt to, I, I just can't fathom how they had to adapt to this whole new culture that just overwhelmed them. You know, when... When uh, Europeans first came to, you know, our homelands and we invited them in, that how much it impacted our ancestors. I mean, they had to adapt very quickly. And, and they had to adapt in order to survive. Um, and I, I can look back on that now and realize that that's how my parents have been because they had to adapt within that, that time frame that, that they were raising us, you know, and use what was around us. Uh, I'm so, so grateful for our ancestors who fought for our homelands. Um, what little homelands that we still have, they're very important to us. It's who we are. And, and so, you know, coming from that type of background, I guess I used that and knew that I could always, I could venture out into that unknown world, you know, off the reservation. First time I remember was going to Bozeman when I started college. And it was so different. I didn't think it would be that different, but it was so different than what I grew up on the reservation learning. And so um, I almost quit. I almost couldn't do it. 
But um, my family encouraged me to, especially my mother, is, is that, no, you, you need to go out and you need to get your degree and you need to you know, continue on with your career. If you choose to come home to the reservation, that's great. But we want you to experience that out there. And so I, I did, and I ended up going further and further until I was living in Japan and working too. But it taught me to have that confidence to adapt. And not only to adapt, but to take what I'm learning and to acculturate it into my culture. That I don't just have to go out and make money for myself. It's nice to be able to go out and make money and be able to help my community too. So I did end up returning back to my reservation um, after Michelle and I met and we were married on my reservation. Um, we finished the project we were working on in Florida and then we moved to the reservation and we actually started to fix up the home that I grew up in on the reservation and the two of us made our home and created our family there on the reservation. So that was, that was nice for me to be able to share that with my new wife and, and to also be a part of my community again. Um, so much so that we both became a big part of our community. And then we took, again, adapting, taking what we'd learned off the reservation, designing theme parks. How do you use that on the reservation? We used it in many ways. We helped to develop nonprofits. We helped to fix up our home and inspire other people to fix up their homes. We, um, we, I worked for my tribe, and she worked for the local school, and we, we helped to teach children, our Indian children, our relatives, you know, how to take a different view of the world, you know, and to embrace that, that difference. Um, so we did it in many ways. We started our own businesses there and encouraged other people to start businesses. But it was with the intent to give back to our community. So I guess it's that adaptability that's always been that through line for me. And even though we live off the reservation in Helena, Montana right now, we have our connection with our, with our Indian communities that we... Um, that is so much a part of what we're doing and, in fact, you know, embodies all of Sage and Oates, too. Episode one of this podcast was with Chantelle Schieffer, who's dear, you share a dear friend with her, Barbara Braided Hair. I want to invite you to share the story of Barbara and also her influence on this business. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, Michelle and I have known... Barbara, ever since we, I'll just say, moved back to the reservation in uh, around 1999, 2000. And uh, we met Barbara, one of the first times we met Barbara was um, she was working at First Interstate Bank as the branch manager and had invited um, Jim Scott and Maria Valandra few other folks to the reservation to talk about what could be done to encourage community development. And the short story of that long story is that um, People's Partners for Community Development was developed out of those meetings. And it still exists today. So we helped um, in working with Barbara to create this community development organization. Um, Again, we found like-minded people who wanted to have an impact on 
our community. Um, so then years later, um, Michelle and I, after I had taken a job here in Helena working for Governor Schweitzer in his Office of Indian Affairs, um, we had toyed with an idea of starting our own business. And we knew exactly what type of business that we wanted to start. And, and now we have it, which is Sage and Oats Trading Post. We wanted a business that celebrated our diversity in Montana. Just lifted it up. It's great to be different and to have that all together in one place. So when we were developing the logo for it, we wanted to have a logo that looked like it had been there for 100 years, you know. And so as we were developing it, we kept placing this Indian man in the center of the logo and trying to work around it. And it looked very cool, we thought. But it didn't seem to have the right impact that we wanted until one day Michelle and I were talking and we realized, no, we need to have an Indian woman in that logo somewhere. And when Michelle mentioned that, I said, I know who needs to be there. It needs to be Barbara. And Michelle said, yes, of course. There was no doubt about it. And so I called Barbara and I talked to her and I said, we're starting a new business and we'd love to use your face as the image for our logo. After she stopped crying, she said, yes, I would love for you to do that. And I said, okay, well then we're gonna have you for lunch or we're gonna have a photo shoot, which we did. And as we were developing the logo, she says, yes, you can use my image, but do me one favor. And I said, what? She said, just make me look younger. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we can do that, but we love how you, exactly how you look. So we want your image on this. And she said, yes, that would be fine. So we've developed many things now with Barbara's image. Um, and unfortunately, the part of the, the story that's, that's hard, but it's part of life, is that Barbara never did see our store because, unfortunately, she passed away from cancer before we opened. Um, we showed her all of the artwork. We talked about how important this business was, and she understood that, and she knew what we were trying to do. And because of her love of all of the tribal communities that she was involved in um, and business development and encouraging tribal or native businesses to start and grow. She was open to having us a part of our business and she continues to be a part of our business today. Um, so it's really an honor to have her at the very beginning and still a part of our, our business and and we dearly, dearly miss Barbara Bradedard still today. Can you tell me what she meant to you as a friend and mentor? Certainly. Um, and that's, that's the hard part. I remember going into her office many times. Um, and I tell people this, is that, you know, Barbara just made you feel good as soon as you saw her. She had the smile that just, you know, captivated you. And then she would start asking you questions. How are you? What, what are you doing? And, and, and everything that you would tell her, 
she would always bring it back to, well, that's great because you're really helping our community. You're really helping our relatives. She could always make that connection. And it was always a reminder for us, too. It's like, how are you impacting our community? And so I just loved both her and her husband, Otto, um, because they were so grounded in our traditions and our way of life as Cheyennes, and they continued to share that all the time. And so I always enjoyed just going and spending time with with her and her husband Otto. So um, so it's nice to to have her a part of what we're doing. So before we transition to um, bring your two children on the microphone with you, um, I want to do the lightning round. Which oh, okay. <laughs> so did you get my notes on this? It's about 15 seconds to respond. Not a, not a hard cap by any means, but just meant to be fun. Okay. All right. So we'll kick it off with the accomplishment that I'm most proud of is... Mm-hmm. Pretty easy because my family, I'm very, uh, feel like I've accomplished something because of what they're teaching me today. The most important step for bridging cultural divides in Montana is listening. That's the first step is you got to listen um, and hopefully um, ask questions. And if you're asking questions, then that means you're willing to listen. The mentor I'm most grateful for. Yes. Uh, Barbara, that one was too easy because <laughs> she, she just embodied so many things about how to in, embrace um, our lives as, as Northern Cheyennes and um, relating to our community. Mm-hmm. I wish the listeners could see your smile. <laughs> <laughs> the most important thing about living in Japan for me was embracing a different culture and really allowing myself to learn from them. The most important thing I can teach my children is? Always embrace something different because it will teach you something about yourself that you maybe had forgotten or didn't know. My guilty food pleasure is <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> and it's really guilty because it's so darn expensive, but it's so good. Are you a Pike's Place guy? Uh, yes, we've been there too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my fondest memory growing up is? Uh, family again. Um, just... the. I'm so fortunate to have such a large family that um, we would always, I always thought that every day was a family reunion because there were so many people there, and then we would have family reunions there, and there would be hundreds of people there. Um, a book recommendation. Well, I'm, I've got to give a plug for my, my brother because he it. just finished his first book, The Cheyenne Story, and um, we're really proud of him, and I've read the book, and it's a great book. It's a somewhat hard book to read because there's some pretty um, 
um, direct um, information that, that's in there that talks about our people and our history. Uh, but it's but it's a great book. Should definitely read it. Jerry um, Jerry Robinson is who wrote it. Uh, I will be buying that on my way out, which is. I'm building a bad habit major because I was in Manhattan with Jake Fettis at his meat shop and uh, for the last episode and bought a whole bunch of meat. And so now I'm going to buy stuff with you here. And when I go to Butte this afternoon, hopefully I don't buy too many cocktails from Courtney <laughs> McKee. <laughs> well, at least it's your last visit, so you hopefully you can get home. I know. <laughs> I'll make Leadership Montana buy me a hotel in Butte. So yeah, good. <laughs> um, a recommendation for a good way to laugh. Oh, I've got a good one for that. Um, there's a movie, and I don't think you've seen it, and I would recommend it to you and to everybody else, Smoke Signals. Smoke Signals was done, I think it's almost 20 years old now or so, but uh, Smoke Signals is great. It talks about um, contemporary Native American life on a reservation, and it shows the whole breadth of us, and it, it's an indigenous-made film, so it really tells a story from our perspective. And it's a good laugh? Yes, it is. It's a good laugh and it is a good cry. What else do you need? That's all I want. Exactly. Give me as much of that as I can get. Honestly. Exactly. If you could snap your fingers and change one thing in Montana right now, what would that be? Um, racial indifference. Unfortunately, it still exists here, here, here throughout the United States, but also here in Montana. You know, as um, embracing as Montanans can be, um, we can also have some um, serious prejudice and racism. And so if I could change that with a snap of my fingers, the whole state would look different. Okay, we're going to move on to word association. So I'm just going to say one word. Oh, my gosh. And then okay. you, just, you just respond to whatever that word makes you think about. <laughs> Start out with a fun one. 2020. 2020 um adaptability design life leadership hmm. friends leadership montana hmm. friends Progress. Struggles. Home. Mm. Family. Major Robinson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to part one of this special two-part episode with Major Robinson. Now, here's part two with Major and two of his children, Jorian and Kira, who both make enormous contributions to Sage and Oates Trading Post and have wonderful stories to tell. Here's Major, Jorian, and Kira. Hi, I'm Jorian, uh, Jorian Robinson. Um, I'm kind of from a little bit of everywhere in Montana. Um, but originally from Ashland, which is my true home. Um, and I am enrolled Northern Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. And what's your Cheyenne name? 
Uh, my Cheyenne name is Mahetomanat, which means Red Earth Woman. Nice. Nice. And um, as we get going over here, I also want to ask you, and I'm not saying your name because I want you to say your name, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could do the same thing and introduce yourself. Um, I'm Kira Robinson. I'm from Ashland, although like Dorian, my sister, I've been uh, at a... <laughs> I've gone to a lot of places in Montana. Um, I'm an enrolled tribal member of the Northern Cheyenne Tribe. Okay, good. Um, and so, yes, <laughs> nice. Take a bow. Um, Bonk. <laughs> so both of you, and, and actually I want to add mine because he might want to include this too, but my name is Major Robinson. I'm Northern Cheyenne. And my Cheyenne name is Anhunisto, Screaming Hawk. And I'm an enrolled member of the Northern Cheyenne tribe. And so I want to talk to you about, uh, first of all, I wanted to talk to you about um, the store and what we're doing here at Sage and Oats Trading Post. Um, I want to just kind of hear from both of your perspectives because you've been a part of this as well. Yeah. Could I say, yeah. <laughs> like, since we all introduced ourselves with our um, Northern Cheyenne names as well, I would like to say that I don't have a Northern Cheyenne name yet. Um, we were thinking of a certain name, uh, but this was before I came out as non-binary, and the name didn't really reflect on my identity my identity that much anymore so we're still in the process of looking for a name that's great that's good yeah and um and we know um because of how important it is with our northern cheyenne way of life is that um we'll find that and work our way towards that because it's so important to all of us um uh our tribe and our culture and where we're from so yeah i'm glad you mentioned that thanks and and so since you mentioned that i, I want to ask about that is that so can you explain what non-binary means um so non-binary can mean a lot of different things for different people um but it's mainly just being outside of the gender binary which is male and female um and so some people look at it as a spectrum where you can be anywhere between male and female in that identity. And then other people look at it as outside of the binary. So it doesn't really have to be on the spectrum. Um, but it's not really a third gender. Uh, it's like an absence of gender. So for me, it's an absence. Great. Thank you. Okay. What I want to do now is actually I'll, I'll ask you both a question about this, and this is in relationship to, to Sage and Oates Trading Post. Um, you both are, have been a part of the very creation of this business that Mom and I have, and so uh, and you both have played a part and continue to play a part in that business. So I want you to speak to a little bit of that. Um, and I'll start again with Jorian. If you could talk about 
your role in the business now and what you do and what are your kind of day-to-day activities? Uh, well, I originally started as an on-call employee um, because I was still in high school. Um, and then kind of helping out um, during high school that summer before college and then when I came back from college, um, I showed enough effort <laughs> that I uh, was promoted to manager. Um, and it's pretty much the same tasks I had when I was just a regular employee, um, but it involves just opening up the shop, greeting customers, helping people find what they're looking for, explaining um, how our products aren't just things, they're stories. And so you're not um, going home with just like a blanket. You're going home with the story of the people who made that blanket, or you're going home with the story of how this person did their beadwork or why they did the beadwork. Um, and it's a lot of fun just meeting people from all over Montana, all over the United States, and sometimes even across the world. Like we had a couple people from France not too long ago that um, we just had a blast with. That's great. Great. So um, what do you think is um, the most challenging thing that you found about um, managing the business? Um, on a personal level, I um, deal with anxiety, especially around large crowds. So when there's multiple people in the shop and I'm trying to make sure everyone is finding what they need, sometimes I need to have myself step back and, excuse me, step back and work on a task to um like just kind of calm down um and then just approach them again make sure they're doing all right um and over time that's really helped me with uh interacting with people i i can uh i witnessed that from the very beginning when you were part-time and and working because you'd like to do the stock room a lot and not be out front and we understood that that made you nervous. And it's just been amazing over the, this, we're going on year three now, how you've been able to step forward and now you run the store and we just, you know, you show up, you open it yourself and you run it. And so it's really amazing to see how you've grown. And that's by, you know, putting yourself out there and uh, learning different ways to to manage that anxiety. So I'm really proud of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised with um, how I react to even the odd customers nowadays. Um, I have a little bit more confidence to actually deal with that kind of thing, whereas before I would probably run back to the stock. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot more confidence. That's great. That's great. So, um, Kira. You've been a part of the store as mm-hmm. well. And um, when I was chatting with Eric earlier, we talked uh, a little bit about um, the stickers that you and I worked on. And I know you have your own sticker here that you developed. And um, and then also both you and Jorian did the murals that are on the front windows yeah. of the <laughs> store. 
which was really an experience of over this summer of doing that. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, some of the work that you've done, whether it be the stickers or the murals, and um, some of the meaning behind it and, and how you found your place in, in the business in a different way. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was like a lot of questions. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Choose one. Yeah. <laughs> I really like art. So um, being able to do art and still help out with the family business has been really great because I feel like I'm gaining a sort of like new experience with art um, while also, you know, still enjoying it. Like, I don't think I would be able to work the cashier and have the same enjoyment, um, though I'm glad that it's helped Jorian. Um, Yeah, it's like every project that we work on, it's not just a project, it's a story that we're wanting to tell, um, similar with the products that we have. Um, yeah, so I think it's like been really great that I can make these stickers and um, help design these murals, I guess, um, or mural, because Jorian worked on her one um, by herself, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah, I just, it's wonderful that I'm able to talk a bit about, like, uh, Native stories um, and issues like the MMIWGMP um, mm-hmm. and bring awareness to that issue through the sticker that we designed. Um, while I also get to talk about uh, my <laughs> queer side, I guess, um, while being able to, like, design the LGBTQ plus sticker um, that shows people from all different identities coming together and finding friendship. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and could you talk a little bit about the mural and how the idea of the mural on the window that we have right now came to be? Um, because you talk about stories, and I think there's a good story behind it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't my idea to start a window mural um helena has this annual (laughs) semi-annual event Mm -hmm. called the art walk where people usually go into stores and get to see artists who are unknown or more well known and be able to purchase from them and also be able to speak with them about their products um unfortunately due to covid Uh, we couldn't have that same kind of experience, but we still wanted to celebrate art and artists in some way. Um, So, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, (laughs) but she decided to organize this Helena Window Art Walk. Um, So instead of going into stores, people could walk by stores and see uh, the artwork on the windows and not have to go in. Um, So knowing that we're an indigenous store um, and that COVID's going on um, and that, you know, June is Pride Month where um, this Helena Window Art Walk was taking place or when this Helena Window Art Walk was taking place, I wanted to celebrate all three. Well, celebrate two, not the COVID part. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, 
<laughs> I decided to showcase the social social distancing powwows that have been taking place um, and to show closeness without being physically close because of the six foot rule. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that I would put the phones closer to each other. So the screens made the illusion of people standing next to each other. Um, And I decided that a really cool kind of sneaky way (laughs) to mix in a little LGBTQ plus appreciation uh, was to use the color schemes of some of the flags um, and hide them in like the indigenous regalia. Um, Yeah. And instead of uh, just like, I don't know, applying random colors to different um, regalia, I tried to look into the meanings of each piece of regalia so that I wasn't being offensive. And I found like a way to kind of like connect those identities. Um, Yeah. That's perfect. It was really fun coming up with because like it's just a kind of out there idea it still looks very cohesive, I think. Yeah, it does, and it w- it was um, um, to work with both of you on the murals. It was it was nice to hear people's comments as they walked by and saw the art being created right in front of them. I think that was the fun part for me is that um, when people see that art can happen right there in front of your eyes, they appreciate it, you know. And it's nice to see the work that's done, but the process is always. Uh, uh, fun too, and yeah. to see some of some of the uh, LGBTQ community come by and recognize the colors in yeah. there was kind of nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so just a couple more questions. I want to know from, and we'll start with Kira this time. <laughs> what do you see as being some of the maybe the next work uh, that you would have in relationship to Sage and Oats and um, yeah, anything, anything coming up? Um, One project that we've been discussing um, is having this indigenous coloring book uh, where it talks about the stories of plants and like um, their meanings, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, kind of like I don't know the only word that's coming to mind is lore um but yeah it's just to see like the relationship between plants and how um indigenous communities have personified plants but not in a very academic way but like in a storybook way yeah um yeah and I think it's called plant relatives um that's the name we're thinking about it could change um yeah, I think it would be really cool to learn and to be able to teach others as well and to have a book where other people can make art. Yeah, good, good. That's exactly what I had in mind. That's good. So now, Jorian, <laughs> what what do you see upcoming in what you're doing with Sage and Oats? Um, so... We used to have a gal in Utah who would make very adorable Scottish gnomes, um, and they were perfect for stocking stuffers. However, due to 
injuries, she isn't able to make them anymore. So we wanted to use a similar idea and we asked her permission um, to start creating our own line of gnome-like um, people, but it would be um, smaller um, figures that are more indigenous looking. Um, and we wanted to call them little blessings because inside each would be some kind of signature scent, whether that's sage or cedar, or we even had some crazy ideas about like willow and um, other fun, um, but very uh, spiritual kind of earth pieces that are still in our lives. A little um, bit like plant relatives. <laughs> very much <laughs> like plant relatives. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because uh, it just means so much in our culture. And we want to share that similar happiness and um, contentment uh, or comfort um, <laughs> with others. Um, and the reason behind Little Blessings, I kind of briefly talked about it with the different ingredients inside um but each one would have a little tag with a little story um talking about like we hope this brings you um a calm mind we hope this brings you um good health um like luck with love just very interesting but nice gifts for the holidays Mm -hmm. that's great little blessings yeah <laughs> little blessings for the holidays yeah <laughs> yeah and that that describes it very well i think because it's it's again sharing um a part of our culture and uh, trying to make it available for other folks to understand so um so last thing is are there any other um i think we'll finish up here pretty soon but um <laughs> any other things that you would like to mention that we haven't talked about at all that you would you would like to share with people come buy our stuff i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> this has all been an ad <laughs> um, i feel like we covered a lot yeah oh my god that's loud i think so too i would say um that we definitely appreciate the artists that we work with and uh, learning their stories um, and why they make art. Um, it's just a beautiful uh, idea with everything they make. Um, so. Perfect. Thank you. All right. With that, we're going to end this session. Thanks for listening to Listen First Montana. And a special thanks to Jorian and Kira Robinson for joining their dad on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you have feedback on the show, good, bad, or ugly, we'd love to hear it because we love to get better. Please email me at eric, that's E-R-I-C, at leadershipmontana.org. For Leadership Montana, I'm Eric Halverson, and this is Listen First, Montana. Montana.